Thank you here for joining us on Following the Gong. We are not at Doggies, we are not a cafe, we are not at the saloon, but we're in fact here in the Grandfather Clock Lounge in Atherton Hall for our first ever live recording with a studio audience. And we are joined by none other than highly accomplished musician and band leader for Penn State Legends, My Hero Zero, Jason Alsey. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Sean, thank you so much for having me. Jason Alsey, class of 2006, is the band leader of My Hero Zero in State College, PA, where he performs as a musician, writes and records in the studio, and manages equipment and practice space to keep everything running smoothly. Before joining the band in 2010, Jason performed as a solo musician under the artist named Jason O. He earned his BS in psychology with honors in music from Penn State's College of the Liberal Arts in 2006. Jason joined the show, complete with a live studio audience in the Grandfather Clock Lounge, to share his story. Jason is a lifelong musician and learner, providing insights on crafting your skills in college, including through a gap semester and studying abroad. He also shares his perspectives on being a solo entertainer, band member, songwriter, producer, and coach through his other project, Happy Valley Song Lab. The episode includes two live performances, including one song from his thesis project. Any current scholar or scholar alum can get something out of this episode, and especially if they are not sure of what path to take or major to choose, are interested in a career in entertainment, writing their own music, or simply hearing about playing at Thon or which is Jason's favorite Taylor Swift era. Jason's links and a more detailed breakdown of the topics discussed are available in the show notes on your podcast app. With that, let's get back to our conversation and performances following the gong. Glad that we were able to put this together. So, Jason, you know, I usually start off by asking how you came to Penn State and the Honors College, if you've heard previous episodes. But in your case, I want to start a little bit further back. So you and your bandmates in My Hero Zero shared some of your backstory with Onward State on their podcast last spring. And if you haven't heard that, you all can check it out once you're done listening to our episode. But can you share how you first got into playing music? What was K-12 Jason like? Oh, well, um... So I kind of tripped and fell into music. Uh, my parents were both music teachers. And so like many young boys, I was, had a lot of energy. And uh, when the doctors recommended uh, perhaps medication to calm me down, my parents got me a drum set instead, um, which I have a lot of friends with kids now, and that seems like an insane choice. Um, but <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they got me a drum set and I took to it. And so I fell in love with the drums whenever I was five. And then along the way, I got to play any instrument that I was interested in. They would give me at least a couple lessons. And I haven't always been super dedicated in terms of practicing in a structured kind of way. But, uh, you know, I love playing, I love music, and I keep coming back to it. So it's it sort of became my life. Well, and I, I'm very glad that they did. I'm a parent. I agree with you I can't imagine just being like here's a drum set (laughs) electronic drum set that's the key you give them a pair of headphones that's a game changer yeah that is Uh well so you know hopefully (laughs) the whole point of this podcast is life and career advice for scholars but I just got some as a parent so so thank you Jason now I want to ask so you know you're a musician through and through but how did you decide to come to Penn State and try her so it was actually kind of as I was Preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about this. I don't have a really, I think, inspiring story as far as uh, that's okay. Scholarly ambitions goes. I was uh, school was always easy for me, 
And so I, I had good grades, I had good test scores, and when I went to apply to college, I mostly applied to places uh, that girls that I was uh, interested in were applying to. That's about <laughs> as far as my as far as my planning went. But I had a, a guidance counselor who said, "Hey, you know, you should probably just apply to Shriers to see what happens. You're good at writing. You know, I've read some of your work. I think that this might be a good fit." So I applied and I got accepted and. When it came down to it, I ended up choosing Penn State because it's a large school and I came from the middle of nowhere. So one of the most frustrating things for me uh, growing up wanting to play music with other people was that like like the bands that I were I was in when I was young, it was me saying to like my friend, you play bass now. <laughs> like, like you play bass and I think you're gonna sing. And I think, you know, like me on the drums being like, I'm trying to manufacture the situation. And so I thought uh, of all the places that I've applied, Penn State has the largest pool of people. And I think that I'm probably gonna be able to meet people to play music there. And it turns out I did. Well, I think that's a good choice, but even to your previous point, I think that's how Paul McCartney ended up playing the bass was, I think they told him, I'm not gonna even try and do a Liverpool <laughs> accent, but you're 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 drawing the short straw, you're playing bass, yeah, so. Yeah, that's but, funny. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge, huge campus here at University Park, but did you find that Trier helped shrink that at all for you, or did you really branch out oh, yeah. in, in, on campus? Uh, big time. Schreier, the Schreier experience for me was if I'm being honest, the only thing that made Penn State feel worth it for me. Uh, like I mentioned, like school wasn't hard for me, and that doesn't mean that I was learning well. It just means that I happened to have a skill set uh, in the classroom where I could knock out tests, I could, I could intake and then regurgitate information very, very well. So large classes, I don't think I really got a lot out of them, but the Schreier's experience helped me to have enough enough small class experiences that I got kind of the the liberal you know liberal arts arts school experience uh, that I maybe would have had someplace else if I like some of the other places I was applying but also still have the this is a really big you know big school experience as well awesome and speaking of liberal arts you know this might be a surprise to some of you in the audience but you didn't major in music or art or anything related to that like some of our past guests who have a musical bend to them rather you majored in psychology so what drew you to that major well um so uh when i came to school here i actually i was accepted as a physics major so i came <laughs> i came to be plot twist yeah <laughs> <laughs> I came here to study physics initially, and I got, <clears throat> you know how you know how um, you do like the parents, you know the, the intake weekend. And because I was in Shires, my mom got to speak with a, a dean of a college. She happened to speak with, I think her name was Barbara Wade, uh, in the School of Agriculture. And Barbara Wade looked at my test scores and my major, and she goes, he's an Eagle Scout, and what is he doing in physics? He's gonna, she told my mom, he's gonna get swallowed up, and <laughs> he's gonna get swallowed up and forgotten. Why don't you send him over to the School of Agriculture? And on the spot said, we'll give him a scholarship to come over to the, to the, to the egg school. And I was like, I have literally zero interest in agriculture. <laughs> um, and she was like, that's okay. Uh, you come over anyways. And the deal is, <laughs> I'll give you the scholarship, but, but you have to come to my office once a month to talk. And so I would go to this woman's office and she gave me assignments. And one of, one of the most impactful uh, you know, pieces of my college career was she would send me out to talk to professionals 
and professors, um, people who had been successful in their field, and she gave me assignments to go speak to them to help me figure out what I wanted to study. She said, for now, just take a couple of ag classes, and you know, we'll, we'll circle back around. Um, but I got the opportunity to speak with people, and the big takeaway for me was nobody, nobody knew what they wanted to do. They all had an idea of a thing they wanted, and then they went really hard at that thing, and it kind of, they tripped and fell into this next phase of their life, and then the next phase of their life, and then they're like, now, and this is, this is how I'm here. And I, you know, I really came to believe that by working hard at what you're doing, uh, you can't go wrong. And um, so I, I went from physics, then I went to the School of Engineering and focused there for a little while, and then I actually dropped out of school for a semester. I met a kid at an open mic, this is a terrible story, but I met a kid at an open <laughs> mic. Um, <clears throat> And that it was over in West, you know, West Halls. And um, we were talking outside after the set and I told him, you know, we were just talking about life. I told him what I've always wanted to do. He said the same thing. We decided in that moment, like 30 minutes after meeting each other that we were gonna drop out of school together. And I called the bass player from high school and I said, hey, you wanna drop out of school? And he said, <laughs> he said yeah, I don't like school at all. Um, so we, so we so we we thought we were done. We thought we were done done with school. But yeah, we we took the semester off. Is how that story ends. Um, and we we bought an RV. <laughs> we bought an RV, <laughs> and we and we recorded an album uh, under the name Body Clock. I was that was the last band I played drums in. And uh, and we ended up moving. We were gonna move to California. That was the plan. We were gonna take the RV, go to California. And the singer's parents uh, were like, "Why don't you come to Martha's Vineyard? Uh, we li they lived on Martha's Vineyard. Why don't you come there for the summer and just like work and write and stuff?" So we went up there and we spent the summer doing the Martha's Vineyard thing, and it was a phenomenal summer. And at the end of the summer, the singer um, he goes, "So my parents and I were talking, and it turns out." I'm either gonna have to get a job or go back to school. So, <laughs> so I was thinking we would go back to school. So, so I, you know, got in touch with this this school when I came back the following semester. Actually, so while I was out of school for that semester, I ended up becoming a full-time snowboarding instructor before I moved to to uh, Martha's Vineyard. So while I was snowboarding, I was reading. Like I would teach lessons, and then I would come inside to the ski lodge, and I would read books. And as I read more outside of the classroom, I found I was very interested in psychology. So I think I like, you know, was initially pulled in by the self-help self genre. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna fix my life for sure. But as I, as I got involved, I, got, I found myself reading more like textbook style stuff. And I'm like, I wanna know more about people and about myself. And ultimately, you know, this is maybe sounds like a fool of myself artist kind of thing to say, but I knew my goal was to be a songwriter and a musician, and I thought if I study psychology, I'll know more about people, and I'll know more about myself, and then I'll be able to write from a place of knowing about the human experience. So that's, I think, largely why I wanted to come back to school and study psychology, learn more about what being this is. Well, having seen you on stage several times over the years, I think you really know how to work a crowd, and, and we'll mm -hmm. dive into that. But maybe that does try to go into my next question. And this is kind of blending where we are in your story at Penn State, or coming back to Penn State, because obviously, Jason, you are a scholar grad. You came back, you, you rang the gong that's sitting about six feet from us right now as we record. What sort of classes did you take that really helped inform your experience and in your, in your career today, both as a musician and a producer? 
my favorite class that I took in college was I did a semester in New Zealand and I got to take a class on memory and I worked worked with a professor who had written the textbook and she that class differed very much from the experience I had here at main campus in that we started historically with the beginning of how they studied memory and went through the entire, the scientific exploration of that specific topic. And at the end of it, I like, I really felt like I understood memory, but also the learning, the learning process and more about how to be a student in life. So that class was huge for me. I took a history class here. It was an American history class, which was an honors course. And it was like eight, eight or nine people. A lot of the coursework was studying documents from uh, around the American Revolution uh, time and diving in and like really being like, okay, they say all men created are created equal, but what's that really mean? Getting into the nitty gritty of the, the written language. So I think for me, like starting to dive into like, what is what do these words really mean? It really impacted me as a songwriter and thinking about not just like what's the surface message here, but what, what's going on contextually in the life of the people who wrote these things. Yeah, and Math 140. <laughs> uh, I, I, I took the honors, I took the honors uh, section of 140 and 141. Those are calculus, right? Yeah, it's calculus. Um, but I love, I mean, I love math. This is gonna sound super nerdy, but like, you know, most kids are like, oh, I wanna be like an astronaut or firefighter or whatever. And I literally was like, I wanna be a fourth grade math teacher. That was my, that was my like dream when I was, when I was a kid, cause I, I loved math. So I was taking calculus and like fell in love with the idea of a proof. Like once I understood what it was and that you could make it up and that it was like, it wasn't just like an answer that you spit back out, but that you could come up with your own version of that proof. I got really excited about math even more than I already was. And then like by the end of this class, I realized that in order to be great at math, I had to practice. And so like in the back of the book, they would have math questions. And like, I could learn the answer to, you know, I could learn formulas and the answer to any particular kind of question, but like to get an intuition in math, I had to practice. Once I realized that I had to practice, I was like, oh, can I swear on here? Uh, I might bleep it out, but. Oh, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm wasting my time. <laughs> like, I should be practicing music instead. So that was, I think that was the last, uh, you know, 141 was the last math class I took, and it was part of me deciding to switch into another field that would support music. Well, and I think there, from everything I've heard from a lot of musicians and math people over the years, there's a lot more in common between the two than you think. So yeah. we talked about inside the class, inside the classroom, but what was life outside of the classroom like for you? Were you in any musical groups, or how did you find avenues to perform and hone your talents? And equally important to your, you know, your career today, how do you, developing your approach to style and stage presence? Well, um, so dr the drums was my main instrument growing up. I didn't start playing guitar until I was 17. And um, I heard music in my head and, you know, had this sense that songs were trying to come out. And I would sort of try to sing these songs to people I was in bands with. And they'd be like, I don't get what you're doing at all. Like, that's not helpful for me. So I learned enough guitar that I could communicate what was happening inside my head. And once I started doing that, they were like, yeah, we don't really like these songs. Um, <laughs> You just play the drums. But uh, yeah, so I came to school and I had written, I wanna say like seven songs and I knew how to play about seven songs. And so starting my freshman year, I lived I lived in Simmons. I lived in the corner, I let, yeah, it's exactly. 
Yeah. We've, we've got some fans here in, in the GFC of Simmons. Yeah, in the, in the great debate, I have an answer. Yeah, it's, not Ather, it's not Atherton. But, um, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was uh, in the dorm room specifically that was the corner of uh, the building down here. So I would walk, well, at that time, I would leave through the screen window because uh, I was on the, <laughs> I was on the, the ground floor. Leave through the screen window, walk down to College Avenue, and I would play every song that I knew how to play. And then I would buy my, the friends that had come with me. I would I would take the the money I'd made and I'd buy them pizza, and then I'd put the rest in my pocket. And I did that every weekend that I could. And I was also in. So when you say weekend, was this like we're talking Friday, Saturday night yeah. downtown? Uh huh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a Penn State podcast. Let's be real. Yeah. Right, right on College Avenue. It's where Yellow Taco is now. There was a pl- there was a clothing store and there was a little like a triangle that I could sit on that was just off of the side of the sidewalk. I could sit on that and people could kind of gather around me and uh, and it didn't it didn't ruin the sidewalk too badly if I got a crowd. Yeah, so I did that and then I was also in I played drums in the Inner Dimensions jazz band, which I loved. That's awesome. So, you know, you were able to find some experiences with kind of registered student groups through the performing groups, but then also going out and practicing your skills. I love it. Now, I'm sure some of the scholars in here, I think we've got a lot of third year students. So they're starting to think about their thesis, hopefully. Uh, And (laughs) obviously the ones, if you're listening after the fact on your favorite podcast app, after you've hit follow or subscribe. Uh, You're also at some stage of your thesis as well. Jason, can you walk us through your thesis experience from finding your topic and your advisor to submitting the finished work and bringing the namesake gone of this podcast? Well, I, uh, I had a sense the entire, you know, the entire time I was working on this degree that I wanted to marry music and um, psychology. So I ended up uh, on my diploma, it says BS in psychology and then honors with honors in music. I had been in and out of the music school. I took some music classes. I was not much of an 8 a.m. person. Uh, and <laughs> a lot of the, the like the early music classes are, are 8 a.m. So those were those were rough for me. But I took I took enough that I like kind of got a sense of what the education there was like. And I was always involved in the, the jazz band or in some kind of something happening up there. So I was pretty familiar with the building. I went into the office and I sat down with the secretary and I just said, I kind of said, hey, I have interest in combining music and psychology and I'd like to speak with someone about it. Who? And she pointed me in a couple different directions, sent emails. I actually, I meant to look up who I worked with and I didn't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, I, I worked with a, uh, I found a professor who was willing to take me on. And uh, we sat down and um, talked out a couple different ideas. And the one that we landed on is that I uh, wrote and recorded an album and then wrote my thesis on how principles that I learned in, in studying psychology applied to the music that I was writing or how it informed the music that I was writing. That's Um, awesome. So, you know, obviously there's always a written component, but you can do these creative works. Jason, is there any chance that your album is available? Yeah, it is under my old artist name, Jason O. It's, uh, yeah, it's available on on everywhere. But uh, yeah, I actually pulled it out and I listened to some of it this morning. I know you'd said that you were going to circle back around and have me play some music later on, but I learned the song that I named the album after to maybe be able to pull out here today. Well, do you, do you want to do a quick while we're on the topic of your thesis? Yeah, you, do you want. Wanna, do you want some some music right now? Yes. 
Perfect. Yeah, well, let's let's sprinkle it in. Awesome. Let's do it. Cool. Um, yeah. So the the album it was I released it in two thousand six, which is when I when I graduated. It, this the song I'm gonna play is called Back to the Beat, and as I'm playing it, I'm like, oh man, I was like, get your bleeper on. I was so up my own, like as far as <laughs> as far as like how like I was thinking about my songs. And uh, you know, it's a song, and it sounds like a guy writing about his relationship with a woman. But really, what I'm writing about is my relationship with songwriting. Because, like, you know, I talked about going down and playing, you know, playing music on College Avenue. But like, a lot of what my music life looked like was sitting in laundry rooms yeah, by myself until you know five, six o'clock in the morning, and going to bed when people started to to get up. You know, kind of like the the very quintessentially tortured artist. <laughs> you know, life, it was very, very hard for me. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a song called Back to the Beat. Blast from the past for me, because I haven't heard this in very many years. Well, it goes like this, a little ditty begins. And at first there is nothing but a beat. And it starts down at my feet. And my toes and it goes to my legs Started moving And before I know the groove Just shoots up straight through my body And I am yearning for the Boom, 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 Some words about my baby I need to make you understand The difficult situation That I'm facing Of what I got on my hands She demands, it demands, it demands She demands, it demands, it does uh, 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 Oh, oh, yeah So, why don't I leave this woman? Oh, oh, I've asked myself that question Time and time and time again Why don't I leave this Woman, oh, oh, well, I've asked myself that question. But if I did that, I'd be back to the beat. Back to the beat. Then I sneak through the door about a quarter of four, and she's there and she knows where I have been. And she tells me I assumed it, that I'm a bad boy. And I say, well, I've been writing a song about you and it's true I say but I have been writing a song about how you are cruel Oh so cruel So So why don't I leave this woman Oh, oh. Well I've asked myself that question Time and time and time again Why don't I leave this woman Oh, oh. And I've asked myself that question But if I did that, I'd be back to the boot I'll be back to the boot Well, I love our life together It's so much better than I think At least that's what she tells me when she's around Oh yeah, but I will get it when she's down I will get it when she's down, no. And I will get it when she's a downtown, ticket downtown, ticket a downtown. I will get it when she's a downtown. I will get it when she is down, 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 down. No, no, I will 
we get him in cheese. I tell it Why don't I leave this obsession though? Why don't I put it down? Why don't I leave these songs in my head? Why don't I leave this? Cause if I did that now, and if I did that, it would be back to the boom. I'll be back to the beat. I'll be back to the oh no 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 no. We be back to the boom. I'll be back to the. Well, it's not every day that you get to hear the thesis live, so thank you for that, Jason. That was really cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, providing a moment in my life where I could reflect on it. Perfect. So we're gonna move into your career now. So you graduated from Penn State. So there's a few careers like if you go into medicine, right? It can be a little prescriptive start. You take the MCAT, you go to med school residency, yada, yada. But with music, mm. it's kind of the antithesis of that. You, and we have a future doctor or two in the room, so they're not, in, their head's in agreement there. So music, there's just about any direction you can go in. So how did you, on top of your, you know, we just got a sample of your thesis project. How did you go about figuring out what was next for you during your last year in the Honors College? Mm. Well, so the band that I played drums in, I, I really did want that to work out. But the singer of that band, ended up going to prison. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, I was, I was a little bit naive and I didn't understand the scope of the drugs that were being sold. And yeah, he unfortunately happened to live within a circle around an elementary school that was small enough to classify what he was doing as a federal crime. So he uh, w went to prison and it ended that band very abruptly. And so at that moment, I decided, that's actually a big part of why I think I switched gears away from being a drummer to being a guitar player. I, it was, you know, it broke my heart, it surprised me, and I was like, I can't, you know, I come preloaded with fear of abandonment issues as any good musician is. I was like, I can't trust anybody again, I'm gonna have to do this myself from now on. So I, uh, I, I committed to the solo career, and then I, I started booking gigs. So I started playing at Allen Street Grill. I played there every Sunday, and I started playing at Cafe 210 on Tuesdays. This is while I was a senior, and had gotten very good at playing on College Avenues. I was uh, treating it like my job. I would go down, I would go down, and I would uh, play music on the weekends to pay my bills, groceries, and uh, some of my like the power bill and things, the things that I was responsible for taking care of. Then I started booking gigs at other colleges. So my senior, my last semester of school was actually really frustrating for me because I was already operating in the capacity of a full-time musician. There was a month that I had 17 shows. Um, and I was like, very much, you know, senioritis is like, sets in when you're like, okay, I've done the thing, I'm gonna go do the next thing. I was already doing the next thing. So yeah, I, I uh, kind of like transitioned straight out of like getting my degree into playing shows. And I moved to New York City for a little bit. And what I learned was I, I bought a book, uh, How to Have a Successful Music Career. And I had already signed a lease for an apartment in New York City. And I'm reading the book and it says, the last thing you wanna do is go to a major city because you think you're gonna make it. Like if you, if you, <laughs> if you, if you, 
If you want to be successful, be a big fish in a small pond, not a, a small fish in a big pond. And so I went to New York, and what I found was artistically it was phenomenal for me. I went to a lot of open mics, and I spent a lot of like a lot of time like workshopping the the artistic side of my life. But I didn't play a lot of shows in New York, and I found that I was always traveling to go you know to go work outside of New York, and um, a lot of traffic that I didn't enjoy, and then I was sleeping on people's couches at Penn State because I kept getting work here. So I'd, I was coming back to State College on a regular basis and kind of getting tired of couch surfing. And I was like, I'm gonna travel to New York once a month instead of playing in New York once a month and traveling everywhere else all the time. Uh, so I, I ended up moving back to State College and I had, uh, at some point, I met a booking agent. I played a show for a public, I played a television show for a public, uh, like a public radio, like WVIA, um, NPR. And a um, booking agent happened to be in the audience, and she's like, if you want work, I can get you work. So she started really putting me to work. And when My Hero Zero, I got a call from her, and she said, there's a band, there's a local band called My Hero Zero. They haven't been around long, but they're really nice guys. And their lead singer just left. He met some guys who were successful on, I think, The Voice, Philip Phillips, some couple of the, couple, like that, that era. He went to go play with them, and she was like, why don't you give it a shot? This time I had dreadlocks and wore pajamas on stage. Uh, my fit was very different. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I, sat, <laughs> I sat down uh, for an interview with the band and they were like, two conditions, uh, you have to give us a year, one year minimum, and you can't wear pajamas on stage. And I said, okay. And uh, then I, you know, that was the next phase and we've been doing that for i've been doing that for 13 years now yeah crazy it's been a journey so i do want to ask a little bit about my hero zero in a minute but first on a personal level you know how did you respond to people early on when you're first trying to make it when you said hey i'm going to be a professional musician and you know maybe you have some doubters or haters that don't like that's such a hard industry to break into how did you respond to people uh, you know, for the most part, and I was thinking about this uh, this morning. For the most part, I was meet, like met with a lot of support. Like there weren't very many people who were like, "Hey, that's not going to go well for you." There were some people who said that, like, "Life's going to get hard," and they weren't wrong. But uh, I think really a lot of people recognized that I, I did have talent early on. I took to music. I've I've had a I, I've I've spoken the language of music naturally. I'm native in it. And so for a lot of people, I think they were like, that makes sense. I think, I think you should probably give that a shot. My dad said when in 2006, I, you know, I found a piece of paper that I had done a pros and cons list for what I'd like to do with my life. And I was pretty deep into applying for PhD programs uh, in psychology. Love science, love math, and I think that would have been a good fit. It still may be uh, at some point in my life. Not a now thing. But uh, yeah, I had applied to programs and I was getting close to a point where I had to make a decision and I was listing out the pros and cons and at the bottom I said, I think I can positively impact more people through a life in music than I could from studying studying psychology. And I circled, I circled that one and I was kind of just, it was the decision that I made and I stuck to and the, the truth is most of the time when people hear, like back then and today when they hear what I'm doing with my life, they're like, good, good for you, don't ever stop. 
you know, please don't ever stop. Because I think, I think a lot of people out there end up doing things that they're not inspired to be doing. And so when they see somebody chasing down a dream, uh, choosing a path that might not be the easy or the prescribed one, I think they, you know, they get a little bit of the juice from that. So yeah, I don't know. I think the, the short answer is I felt pretty supported. That's awesome. You talked about My Hero Zero. And for those listening, this is a podcast mainly aimed at Trier Scholars. So they're probably familiar with you from Thon, from playing outside of Beaver Stadium before some of the bigger games. You know, we just had the the helmet stripe and the whiteout. Mm-hmm. I think you guys played there. I saw you at, at Blue and White Weekend back in the spring. Uh, in your Onward State interview, you guys said you were founded in 2010. And I was like, wow, you guys have been around longer than the Beatles. So that's a cool (laughs) accomplishment right there. Um, But obviously you do a lot of touring. You play in State College quite a bit, but you go all around the, especially the East Coast. What is it like being in a touring band? Can you pull back the curtain on what life on the road is like? Yeah. I mean, for us, the journey started in like booking agent, putting us at places where she's like, hey, we got a, you know, we got a last minute opening for you. Why don't you go try out this random place in wherever? I'm thinking. I'm thinking of a place called Shuckers in in Virginia. But we, you know, we would load all our stuff into a CRV, and we'd all like kind of sit there and just like get <laughs> it, get it done. But uh, you know, I happened to luck out. We had we had some really successful gigs around here. Penn State kind of infused our show with the kind of energy that has defined my hero zero. It's people who are in the phase of their life where they're just discovering the bar scene and they're they're really actively interested in expanding their social circle. And so like when young people are showing up to our shows, they're, they wanna go nuts. And that's not what the whole world is like, <clears throat> but it's what My Hero Zero had to become to be part of this market here in State College. So when we went on the road, we found, I don't wanna say instant success, cause that's not true, but we were always well received. And um, we kind of pretty naturally developed into a band that required a band van quickly and then a trailer. And we were for a period of time out on the road four or five days a week. And it was, it was hard. It was, it was a really hard life. And I wanna be totally, uh, I wanna be partially transparent about the fact that like, we partied a lot. We went hard. And we, you know, we showed up and we matched the energy of the places that we were performing at. And I'd say we were fueled by the party and we made the party happen. And it was a, it was a vicious and beautiful cycle. But. Yeah, as we as we all got older, and some of us got burned up by it, and uh, you know, some of us decided we we wanted to focus more on the music, and the band members have shifted a little bit, and we've landed in a place where we've I, I feel like we've tapped into being able to provide the party without being the party, if that makes sense. But yeah, the behind the scenes, it's a lot of hours in a van. Yeah, I bet. And I, I wanted to ask in that same vein on the business side. So you have to be pretty entrepreneurial, especially as a kind of a smaller band as you're getting started. You know, you talked about booking gigs and you've got to promote those gigs and, you know, setting your performance rates. How much are you getting paid for a show and figuring that out? But then you've got the artistic side, you know, you want to put on a good show. So how have you and, and the rest of the band developed your skills in that space, uh, both on the business and the artistic side? Well. It's an area that nobody, I don't think anybody who gets into music really lands in that direction because they're also like feeling they they love executing like day-to-day functional tasks. So I studied. I recognized that we had reached a point in our career where things weren't going to get better without the business side of things improving. And I started reading books about leadership 
and about business. And I actually audited some classes at the School of Business. I reached out to professors to see if they would let me you know, come in. I audited a class called How to Manage a Startup. And that was phenomenal for me. And then I audited a class called, I think it was just called Negotiating and studied negotiations. And then also studied, there's a, a system of productivity created by David Allen called Getting Things Done. I, I, I got really hyper-focused on studying productivity and how to increase it. And I bought a bunch of you know, highly recommended books on productivity and then found, for me, the one that really resonated and invested uh, a lot of time into working on those systems myself. But then my wife and I hired one of their coaches and got personal one-on-one -on -one business coaching to help us learn how to uh, create better systems and how to organize our projects in a way that's not just gonna be us getting everything done ourselves, if that makes sense. And learned how to delegate. So yeah, I, I kind of, I went from being, a, being an artist to being, I fell in love with the art of business. And that was really, a, it was a period of my life that involved a lot of struggle because I don't wanna oversimplify and say it's different sides of the brain, but you know, I, I uh, I think I had to put down the artist part of myself uh, for a while to learn how to take on the responsibility of, of managing a business. My wife, she started kind of helping behind the scenes by answering emails and uh, you know picking up, picking up some of the slack on being, say, consistent. At about a year into that, I was like, hey, do you wanna just like do this? Do you wanna just manage? <laughs> and, um, and she was like, not really, but like, <laughs> um, but like, but like maybe I could try it. And you know, so she did that for a year and then we made it more formal, you know, sat down and really talked about it with the band. And, um, and I think we were maybe two years into really starting to flesh those systems out. Uh, we, we started a, um, an internship through the School of Communications and have had, a, we counted, I think it's 39 39 Penn State interns now who have come through our program uh, to help us with things like social media and marketing, but also artist management and uh, like video work. So we really started to flesh out a program where we had a, a kind of a back-end office for the band that was, was working to market and promote. And uh, then the pandemic happened and things got crazy. Uh, <laughs> I bet. Um, and we'll get, we'll get to the pandemic in, in a minute here, but kind of on the vein of Penn State, you know, that internship program sounds really cool for students who are interested in that. But a Penn State question you might not get from another podcast outside of the sphere, but what's it like playing at Thon versus the downtown bars versus uh, the other events and venues that you go out and do outside of Happy Valley? Well, um, the beautiful thing about music is that it's the same language no matter where you speak it, right? So there's a lot that overlaps, but the underlying feeling is totally different. You know, in the bars, in the bars here at Penn State, it's very much, you know, entertainment focused in terms of, um, like my, my job description specifically is to get and maintain attention, period. That's the, the entire entertainment industry. Um, in my vein of that, I also happen to have a requirement of performing music, right? But like downtown, it's just attention, attention, attention. How do I get it? How do I keep it? How do we drive the energy upwards so that people have an experience that, that is impactful enough for them to remember and want to repeat? And um, at Thon, it's the experience for me is what can I give? It's what can I pour into this moment that is going to lift people up who have spent the entire year working on this, but just in that weekend who are giving everything they have 
you know, can I, can I make that a little bit easier for an hour? Thon's one of my favorite shows of the year. And I think for us, being on that big stage is beautiful. And the first time I was up there, I'm not gonna lie, it felt like it was all about me because I was playing for 16,000 people and it was an incredible, overwhelming experience for me. But as I've done it year after year now, it's really uh, hit home how much is not about me. And one of the ways that I think I've gotten there is we typically on a Thon weekend will also do an event where we work with three or four Thon families and they come in and we do a private show for them. And that's actually, I think I connect with that experience more so than being on stage in front of all the people at BJC. That is really cool. Is that like kind of in the same vein of like the, the Four Diamonds families going to hang out with the football team or the field hockey team or something like that? Same program. That's, yeah. that's really cool. I didn't know you guys were a part of that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Well, thank you for, for doing that for the kids. You know, we've talked a lot about the entertainment industry and a question I have for you is, what is something that's like dead on accurate to how a general audience member here would perceive life in a band? And what's a myth about life in a band that you want to bust? Maybe something that is actually more glamorous than it seems or something that's not nearly as glamorous as it seems? Well, the thing I'd say that's dead on is it's awesome. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I wasn't a particularly socially adept person growing up. And when I came here to school, I mean, my, my, school, my school district had about 90 kids in the graduating class and it took an hour to drive across. It was rural, rural, rural. And you know, so when I got to State College, I felt like this was a big city. I was very, very overwhelmed by the environment. I remember leaning very heavily into, you know, feeling sad because like where I came from, I knew everybody and everybody looked each other in the eyes whenever I got here. I was like, people just go around looking at the sidewalk and they don't interact. And you know, I moved to New York, so I got a much bigger sense of the scale of how closed off people can be in a, in a space where there's a lot more humans. But yeah, uh, State College was, was not what I would consider like a, I didn't bust on the scene as a freshman, like feeling like the life of the party, let's say. Um, I was really trying to figure out who I was and how to be around people. And so when I first joined the band and I was walking through, you know, an audience and people were stopping me and being like, yo, you're like, dude, you're the man. <laughs> like, um, I was like, you know, I didn't believe it. It took me, I think, many, many years to, to start to step into that space. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the way that that lifted me up was exactly what you would imagine, I think. Um, whenever you see a person on stage. The myth busting, everybody thinks that when you travel, you get to see things, but you don't. We, we end up going places. It's logistics and it's setting up and getting the job done. And then it's closing out, maintaining our relationships with venues so they see us as professional and then, and then getting home so that people can live their lives and have families and you know have other priorities that aren't just being out there with the guys. So we've talked about you're in the entertainment business and, and you kind of reference the your you have a job description right and going back to you referenced covid so probably outside of healthcare I imagine entertainment along with maybe teaching were some of the most impacted professions like you mm -hmm. can't just work from home right in, in your line of work can you share how you navigated that experience as a performer and a musician and kind of the lessons that you've learned and grown from yeah well the kind of the the exciting front page version of my life is that I started playing on College Avenue and just had a, an you know, a series of elevated experiences. And that's true. It's definitely been, you know, been the truth. But also 
one of the ways I accomplished that was by being single-minded and career-oriented in a way that really wasn't balanced. So most of how I lived my life was just obsessed with success and obsessed with, you know, like, uh, it sounds great when I'm talking about productivity systems. I mean, that's like entrepreneurial gold, right? Let's, you know, like I figured out how to like turn this, turn the whole thing up another notch, but it's just when you play every weekend, you miss everything. You miss everything that everybody does. Uh, family events, eventually, you know, eventually your friends stop calling you because why? They know you're gonna say no. Sorry, I have to work. You can come see me at my job. So, so yeah, I, I think my entire experience of myself was on stage. On stage or doing things to support my life on stage. And the pandemic happened and it's like, it felt like the house of cards came down quick. You know, like the, the bottom dropped out. And I realized that I had no foundation in my life. And I had to figure out who I was without an audience. In a lot of ways I was still, I was still the, the kid who came here as a freshman who was overwhelmed by people and had no idea what I wanted out of my life and had been just, you know, bolstered up and blustering my way through the experience trying to, trying to fake it, which I think is what we all do on some level. But um, yeah, uh, in, order to, in order to survive that experience, I had to really turn my, all of that energy that was going outwards, inwards, and uh, focus on how do I figure out who I am and, uh, and then go forth from there. So it was a really, really big experience for me. And as the shows have come back, almost, almost a little jarring, you know? I, like I, I finally got used to not playing on, playing all the time. And then like our agent called like one day, it was just one day that he was like, it's on, like you're back. And, <laughs> I, and we were back to playing like three or four days a week. And I was like thrown back into the mix. I'm like, oh, like this is what I've been doing with my life. Uh, so I've spent the last, last two years trying to reorient and um, figure out how to, I think, I think the, the best way that I've come to understand is I achieved a lot of success without a lot of consciousness on the kind of life I wanted to live. And I'm trying to come from a place of being conscious about the, the way I want to create my life and then designing my career around that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely does, you know, really figuring out your why, right? I bought a set of paint markers and I, I, I write quotes that are meaningful to me on mirrors around my house and the one in my bedroom, uh, I just got rid of it, but for a long time, it just said, why, across where my head is, because that's, that's the best question. If you're trying to navigate what you're doing with your life, you know, every day I try to get up and go, well, why? Why do I want to go do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure what you told yourself, but I'm glad that you did, because obviously we're, I think we're having a great time here. What did you? Why did you say yes to this? Well, going off script here. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. The uh, the Schreier's experience for me was really meaningful, and you know, I mean, the the short answer is my wife scheduled it for me, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll do just about uh, just about whatever she puts on my calendar. But it, you know, for me personally, I was excited to come here after I spoke with you on the phone, and I understood uh, uh, the energy you were bringing to this project. So um, for me, I was like, I get to go hang out with Sean for an hour and a half. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, the the feeling's mutual, Jason. I appreciate it. So we talked about kind of that sense of self, right? And obviously there's a lot more psychology that you could bring to the conversation than I can. But question for you, what is it like being a solo artist and a band member at the same time? How do you, uh, you know, as a songwriter, how do you decide where, you know, this piece is something I'm going to keep for myself or this piece is something I'm going to take to my hero zero? Well, um, balancing those two parts of myself has, you know, been a difficult over the years. 
But I, I have found that my solo career is a place where I get to work out all the things that I don't get to work out on stage with the band. So when I'm on stage with the band, I get to have this big explosion of energy. And when I play by myself, I get to express all of the other pieces of me that don't really have a place on a stage where it's go, go, go the entire time. Recently, the band, we finally decided to do a, f a full length album together. And it was kind of a like a big surrender moment for me. I took about 30 songs. Many of them I had been like committed in my mind that were going to be solo solo songs for a long time. And I brought them to the group and I we made a, a big uh, whiteboard spreadsheet of all the songs and we took votes, yeses, noes, and maybes. And we ended up finding 11 songs that had four yeses. And uh, some of them were solo songs, and, you know, where the intention had been for it to be solo songs. And some of them were songs I had really no interest in at all. I, I've uh, really enjoyed the process of kind of like taking the group pulse and letting letting the the average of how people feel be the thing that creates as opposed to just my own my vision brought to life if you will yeah so recently the ch this angel changed for me all the time but recently i've been going if the band if i can find a group of people who want to play a song and want to be you know attach themselves to a song that i've written it's theirs like that's how i feel about it right now my solo career is for everything else that doesn't fit into that box. That's a now answer. Well, I think that sounds like a pretty good answer to me, Jason. So going back, you talked about your internship program and you're not just a performer, but you're an entrepreneur, right? And you've used that word earlier in our conversation. Can you explain kind of that other side of your career as a producer and as a coach? How is that different or similar to your, you know, the role we all know you as, as the front man for My Hero Zero? Maybe talk about, there's some stickers here that say Happy Valley Song Lab. Maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, so as I mentioned earlier, my parents were both music teachers and they got me that drum set when I was five. And uh, when I was eight years old, they started turning some students over to me. Did were, you say eight? Yes. And so I, I started started teaching when I was eight years old and I fell in love with teaching. I, I absolutely, like, I experienced the joy of passing on something that I had already you know, taken on for myself. And I think it was very good at it. I had a knack for it since I was a kid. So in my career, I've always found ways to help people uh, who are interested in, in my help. And, you know, taught a lot of drum lessons, taught a lot of, a uh, lot of like vocal and guitar lessons. Over the pandemic, I didn't know what to do with my life. And I announced that we were opening this studio. The, the, so the intern, the, the College of Communications reached out to Angel and said, hey, would you guys do an internship? And we were like, we're all wearing masks and classes aren't even happening really in person, but I guess. And so we put an internship program together for the semester and brought the interns together and we're like, we don't have any shows and we don't really know what we're gonna do. What do you guys wanna do? And they're like, well, why don't we brand this studio space that you have? And so we said, sure, let's make that the, let's make that the project for the semester. So we, we workshopped space with them and Penn State students helped us uh, uh, come up with the, name for the business and uh, develop logos and then also do like an initial marketing push. And when I announced that the studio is opening, I expected people to come to get recording services. You know, I thought maybe that's what would happen, but people were reaching out to me saying like, hey, can I just come over and talk about music? And so I, people would come over and they would sit down uh, we, to do two or three hour sessions and we would talk the entire time uh, about why they wanted to play music and what was coming up for them and, and 
more specifically, what was getting in the way of their creativity? Like, where were the blocks? And so after working with a lot of artists, I realized that artists of all levels, I was hearing the exact same kinds of things being said, whether it's someone who never played really at all, but thought maybe they could, or someone who had written and recorded a bunch of songs and was just trying to write more. People were all feeling the same way. So I put together some tools that helped me describe the process as I see it. I initially called it the creativity conveyor belt. And what, you know, could I help them by drawing a picture of what I saw as the creative process, identify where they were getting bogged down. And that work kind of grew out into, it, it got sort of really nonspecific. Like at first, you know, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna be coaching. And then that kind of morphed into, well, I guess coaching also means like lessons for anything that comes up for a person. So like, because of my experience, I can teach drums, guitar, piano, bass, vocals, recording, song, you know, and songwriting. I also am pretty well versed at taking people earlier on in their, the business part of their career through a lot of the pitfalls that take people years to kind of figure out. So kind of also coaching the, coaching the business side of people's music businesses. And after doing that for a little while, I was like, I want coaching too. So I went out and found and hired two coaches and really started to, to develop that side of myself as well. It's been an unexpected avenue for me. I've loved it. That is really, really cool. I'm guessing if a student listening wants to book time, you know, pay for the services, there's something that you can do on your website? Yeah, uh, you can do it on the website. Uh, you could also email or DM My Hero Zero or Happy Valley Song Lab. Perfect, um, well, yeah, the, the website works too. Awesome, we'll make sure there's details in the show notes you can check out as you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify. Uh, if you haven't hit that that follow button yet, make sure you're doing that if you're listening. Like and subscribe. Yep, smash that like button, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, going back to the branding thing here, um, Almert State did a great interview with you, with you all back in the spring. And one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was that you had mentioned that at one point, the band was sponsored by a notable alcohol brand. <laughs> How, how do you, how can scholars in this age of NIL, the name image likeness, seek out sponsorships if you think you're in a position where you're in a band or just as a student influencer can, can work those things to benefit yourself or your organization? Being aware of the space that you're in. So for us, we're in the, we, we spend a lot of time in the partying space. So that partnership made a lot of sense and we had connections with people who were repping those brands. Um, but for student influencers, it's a big, bold new world out there. Seeing what other people, what other people who are kind of in the same vein as you are, what kind of connections they're making and following up there. Awesome. Now, going back to something you said a little bit earlier, you talked about kind of the challenges of profession is that you have a lot of nights and weekends and you sacrifice a lot of family things and you know a lot of our students go into roles that are going to be eight to five or let's be real sometimes eight to eight or something you know it's not always 40 hours but how for students who take professions that have atypical hours what would you suggest that they figure out early to help them deal with that when the world operates one way and their careers might kind of function on a different clock master their calendars Make sure that they're using like calendar-based tools so that they can uh, plan their life out. When I show my calendar to people, they start to have panic responses. I think any Schreier scholar can probably relate to that. For sure. Yeah, so get, uh, you know, really getting in, in touch with how to get a handle on your time 
And then working on routines. I've done a lot of work on how to build routines into my life so that when my life is in moments that are super atypical, I have some foundational grounded things to, to lean on. Uh, it's, it's gonna sound maybe oversimplistic, but like when I wake up in the morning, I have a morning routine that is in the same order every morning. Uh, when I go to bed, I have the same things that I do in the same order. So if I'm a ho it doesn't matter if I'm in a hotel or staying with friends or on the road for five nights in a row, I know I have at least these, these little pieces of my life that I can lean into that provide me with stability. Awesome, and we've heard similar advice from people who work in finance and wear suits to work, so mm. I think it's a pretty good, good piece of advice there. Hope, hope you all over there are take, taking notes on that one. So Jason, obviously My Hero Zero performs a mix of covers, but you're starting to get more and more into original music. You said you're you know, developing an album. Thinking about your concerts, your, your performances, how do you all approach building your set lists, and where do you hope to see the band get to over time? Mm. We build our set lists to be dependent on the venue and the crowd that we are expecting to have there. So a lot of what we've done, especially as a cover band, is we've, uh, we've crafted uh, and honed the show over time in a way where we throw out 20 seconds of any song that's not working. So like we, if you guys, if when you end up seeing us play, we don't play entire songs. We'll play a verse or a chorus or sometimes like two choruses and a verse or something. And then we'll take those songs and eventually after we kind of whittle down what's, what's not holding people's attention, we'll go, oh, this song would work really well with this one over here. And then we end up having like these like five or six song pieces that work everywhere and every time. So we've, we've kind of already done a lot of the work up front uh, to be ready for any environment. And then in, in, in show environments where people are, like if you're in more of a listening room, um, we get into playing more original music and um, but yeah it's very venue specific in, in a business sense you essentially know your your customers you know your market segment right yeah. thon's gonna be a little bit different than doggies versus a wedding well yeah and it's you know it's complicated because you would think that our customers are the the people in the audience and they are you know but a lot of times our customers are also buyers so the people the people that we're directly working with uh, at a business level, we need to make sure that we're providing the kind of product that they're going to want to bring back. So there's, there's a lot of factors to juggle, like juggle. Yeah, definitely. So Jason, obviously you brought us in at the beginning of this episode with the piano, and we had talked to, when we when we talked on the phone ahead of time. You said that you actually remembered coming in here quite a bit as a student and playing it. Do you want to either break out the guitar again or sit at the piano and play some of your original new music, either your solo work, something from My Hero Zero that you're workshopping that you want to share with us? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to play. I want one or two songs? Let's do one. Let's do one. Let's do one. Yeah, we got okay. a thesis song. We got, we'll we'll take a modern song. Piano or guitar? Piano. Yeah, okay. The room is spoken. All right. It's it it piano. Uh, this, is a, this is a song called uh, Mountain. This was the first song that I ever released as my full name. I had kind of like stepping outside of the, the Jason O artist name. And um, on the next My Hero Zero album, I want to turn this song into a full band uh, rock piece. But yeah, this is... Um, under Jason Olsey, that's O-L-C-E-S-E. -E. And um, I wrote this song about not needing to do it yourself. 
Someone can 
feels weird to be back on that piano. Cause I used to, Simmons had a piano. That's the only thing Atherton has on Simmons is Atherton's, Atherton's got the better piano. That was awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for that. I'm musically illiterate. So I'm so impressed when I, you, the fact that you just like wrote that and composed that whole thing is just so impressive to me. You know, so, so um, that song came from, I was working with an artist and one of my favorite exercises to give artists who are struggling uh, or feeling like blocked up is I, I say, write a bad song. And so I, I asked him to write a bad song. And like the way I described that, I say, write a song about pizza or your dog or, you know, like <laughs> make it 30 seconds long or, you know, make, make it bad on purpose. Shoot for that as your goal. Don't fall into the trap of now I'm gonna make it good. And after he left the studio, I was like, I love that exercise. I'm gonna write a bad song. And I sat down and I wrote that in like 20 minutes. Well, I think you, you nailed it, but also failed it because that was, <laughs> that was a great song. So I, don't, okay. I think you failed the write a bad song part. Nice. So. Nail it, but fail it. I love yep. that. All right. So this is in terms of participation. So we've got some scholars who've joined us here today. Is anybody want to hop up here on the green mic and ask a question of Jason? So why don't you, as you sit down, give us your name, what your year is, and what you're studying. Hi, my name is Samantha Pavel. I am a junior, and I'm majoring in economics and minoring in English and women's studies. Um, I have three questions. So awesome. When you like are performing either cover or you know original music, do you originally compose, or when it's already a song that's already been made, do you use like music notes or muse score? Do you riff off of things that you found online, or are you totally creative in the process? Uh, you're, you're saying in the writing process or in the performing? In the writing. In the writing process. So I've I've always uh, kind of written from a, a from a place of inspiration where like I'll hear something in my head or I find a sound that I get really into. So like I, I've written a lot with the guitar. So if I find something that gives me a feeling and I get connected to that feeling, then I, then I dig more into that music. Uh, same thing with like the, the piano, like that, that uh, the writing of that started with the, the melody that I played on the piano in the beginning. Uh, one of the really cool tools that I've worked with clients on is YouTube now has type beats. So if there's any kind of music that people wanna write, you can type in artists that you like and then you know, put in type beat and then start with you know, pre-produced tracks that have chord progressions that are interesting and in the style of the artist that you're trying to emulate. So I have written, you know, from that place, you know, kind of using pre pre-composed music to get started with. But for the most part, it's sounds or or, you know, musical compositions that that give me a feeling I'm looking for and want to explore. Um, my next question is obviously books have played a major role in landing where landing you where you are right now, whether it's the self-help psychology books that you read at the start of your career or something you read now. If you had to compose like a list like Oprah does like at the end of the year of like your top three favorite slash most helpful books, they can be for enjoyment or one of the self-help books you read, like what would be your top three? Mm. Okay, well, I already talked about getting things done uh, by David Allen. I would recommend that to, to everyone for all, for all time. 
and spoiler alert, it's not really so much about getting things done and being more productive, but about trying to arrange the way you interact with the, the stuff in your life so that you have more comfort and ease as you go about choosing how to spend your time. The next thing that I would recommend is a, a fantasy series by Robert Jordan called Wheel of Time. After college, I, I had a pretty strict rule that if it didn't have dragons or wizards in it, I wasn't allowed to read it for years. And I, so I dove really heavily into the, the fantasy genre. Uh, Wheel of Time ended up being my favorite. You know, it's it, it kind of like Tolkien-esque in the, in the, you know, the discovery journey element of it. But uh, it's one of my favorites and I would recommend that. And third book that I want to recommend is, a, a, you know, the most recent one I've read, just because, uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which is really, really, really cool exploration of his life and his career. And has been inspiring to me because he, uh, he talked about the, the way that he kind of tripped through his life and into the major success that he's had, but uh, like also talking about the conviction that he brought to the choices, how to act and what, you know, what to act, uh, what parts to take, what roles to take on. Um, and he really dug into uh, a spiritual a spiritual take on how he's approached his life. And that's something that I've turned to more, especially as I've, you know, walked down the, the path of being alive. Uh, so uh, for me, it was really nice to see someone, someone that I feel like I know and can relate to because of, you know, I've, I felt his personality on screen um, through a bunch of different characters, talk about how he how he has experienced his existence and connects to God. And then my last question is, obviously you've had a lot of twists and turns throughout your life and career. What would be like your piece of advice, either that you told yourself when you entered college, but or for any of us, like we're gonna be graduating undergrad soon, we'll be going to med school, law school, getting our PhDs. And if we enter like a fork in the road that we don't enjoy what we're doing anymore, or we're scared that the road that we're taking is unconventional, or it could be one of the favorite quotes that you've written down. Like, is there something you live by or wish that you knew? If you want to do something, do it and apologize later. The world will readjust around the thing that you've chosen to do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Are there any other scholars that want to hop up here? All right. Hi, I'm Ashley. I am a third-year scholar on the pre-med track and minoring in psychology, so hyped about that. Um, okay, I have one conventional and one unconventional question. Awesome. Okay, the first one is, who are your biggest uh, songwriting and performing influences right now, would mm, you say? Right now. I love that. Okay, listen. Straight up truth, Taylor Swift. That's a great choice. <laughs> yeah. Such a good choice. I, 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 lo I, I love Taylor Swift. I, I originally like wasn't like drawn to her music, and then it, it was her business choices that really, that really pulled me in. Whenever I saw how she crossed genres and how she was connecting with her fans, I was like, oh, I freaking love her yeah. as a person. And then I started getting into her music. And yeah, that was many years ago. Now I'm just big, big fan. I joke about my next music project being a an all-guy Taylor Swift cover band that would called, be awesome. called Tyler Swift. <gasps> you should do that. <laughs> I would listen. I'm Tyler. <laughs> Can I interject? Yes. Since she's on her era's tour right now, which, which era is your favorite Taylor Swift era? Red album. I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Such a good choice. Sure. 
Okay, this other one. I also have a background in music. I've been singing and playing oboe since I was 10. Awesome. Um, so the most random music theory question I have is, do you have a favorite chord progression you like to use? Ah. Or any funky things that like other people don't use? <laughs> Sorry, Sean. This is why you're here, Ashley, because that is never a question that I would have thought to ask. I made it onto um. music theory TikTok before. So nice. Yeah, like Jacob Collier kind of. Oh, Jay, he's style. a monster. Yes. Yeah. He's, well, that guy is like, he's, okay, Jay, Jacob Collier, I really appreciate him as an artist because he's so freakishly good at music theory yeah. that it helped me to finally put to rest this idea that I need to attain some level of mastery over music in order to be relevant or consider myself like arrived as an artist. Like yeah. he's, it's like it, it's like if I enjoyed playing basketball and uh, and like and then I saw Michael Jordan play and I was like oh like I'm I'm never gonna be that specifically you know like I like music theory the the nerdy side of things yeah but uh but it, it's you know for me it's more like fun like yeah fun stuff but I, I'd say my favorite chord progression is uh, just four five two jazz. Love it. I like it because I like to sit down and improvise and mm-hmm. and play, and it gives gives me the feels. Love how, it. How about you? I don't know if I specifically have one because I didn't delve too much into music theory at my time. Listen, <laughs> I could say one four five one, but that's boring and basic. Yeah, boo. boo except I mean, like so many songs use we it. We love one four five one, but it's been done before, uh-huh. so I don't really have one. But I was just curious because you know more music theory than I definitely do. So. <sighs> Music, it's just 12 notes in rhythm, you That's know, true. unless Jake Collier is playing it or. And then he's like microtones. Yeah, and then it's, yeah, and then it's microtones and stuff that only the real nerds Sorry, appreciate. <laughs> yeah. It's notes between the notes is what we're talking about, which yeah. is like, like, I, I was like, I'm watching, I, when I watch the content with him, I'm like, I geek out so hard. And then I'm like, there are a lot of people out here who don't care at all about what he's saying. They, and they, it's not relevant to the way they experience music. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little, it's like a, like a bit of a head twist for me to try to wrap, wrap my brain around how excited I get about that, but then also how irrelevant that way of relating to music is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, four, five, one, or one, four, five, one, four, five, one's pretty cool. One, four, five, one. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a great, great way to start songs. I have so many one, four, five, ones. Well, it always works every time. Yeah, it's exactly. So. Yeah. Sorry. Taylor Swift would agree. <laughs> Taylor Swift would agree. That's so true. <laughs> well, thanks for asking questions. Yeah, thank you. Any other takers? Well, all right. Thank you, scholars, for hopping up here. We're going to do our wrap-up questions here with Jason. Okay. So I'd like to hear, what would you say is your biggest success to date? At least before you start your Taylor Swift cover band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I, I answered this differently in writing, but you know, I'm gonna answer truthfully for today for me is coming into a close here on a, um, creating a full full band album. Okay, so like true story, my wife and I continue to like explore the idea of having a family, and I've always envisioned my life including a chapter where I'm a father. And I brought this up to her six months ago, again, and she's like, "How do you expect to be a father?" You can't even get an album done with your oh. band. Oh. <laughs> this is this is an audio podcast, so you can't see it. But my wife is sitting over there in the corner, being like, "Yeah, like 
truth. But but um, you know she was she was right. Uh, I've done a lot of work as a solo you know solo artist, and we've done we've done recordings as a band, but it hasn't been like a super big focus of what we've done because we have a functioning business as an entertainment group. And I mean, like my, one of my all time goals has been to play Red Rocks. I love that venue. I've I've set it high on my list, and because we've played cover music and we've connected with Penn State students the way we have, we're gonna play next September. We're gonna play at Red Rocks for a uh, a wedding of Penn State alumni. So I'm gonna get to play my dream venue, uh, not exactly in the capacity that I imagined in, in this dream, but it's still I'm checking that one off the big bucket list because of the way we've we've interacted with just entertainment period. So like. It's always easy to kick the original music can down the road. She uh, she hit me with the challenge, and I stepped up to the plate. The original idea was a four or five song album, and we're we're going to be releasing an eleven song album, and uh, have the uh, the vehicle in motion here to actually take the music from streaming services and bring it onto a stage. And uh, you know we have a team put together that can back that experience up for people. So I'm really excited for that, and I I feel. I do feel like it's my biggest success to date. That's awesome. So not even just stopping in an EP, you're going full LP. That's, yeah. That's tremendous. That's really cool. Thanks. And also great that you're getting to play Red Rocks. And Thank ho- you. Hopefully just the first of many times. It's, right? you know, I think so, actually. So that's really, really great, Jason. But on the flip side, what would you say is the biggest transformational learning moment or mistake that you've had in your career and what you learned from it? And, and in, presented in a way that can be helpful for the scholars, both in the room and those listening later on. Mm. Well... The band had had a vertical, a vertical booking, which means every every particular day of the week, so like every Thursday or every Friday or every Saturday, that's considered vertical if you look down a calendar. Uh, we had a vertical booking at a local establishment and had been playing there for years uh, with a mutually beneficial relationship. I got in my head that it was going to be a good idea. I said, I want to start working with TikTok influencers. And so we had a TikTok influencer approach us and say like, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to do something with you. And we brought him into the studio and we engineered a, a moment where like his, his like TikTok thing was that he would go kind of like play his guitar in public. He'd bring his guitar into like Home Depot and play it there or kind of surprise people on the street. And so we put together a moment where he would come on, sneak onto stage and pick up our guitar and play the guitar solo for Jesse's Girl. And we, we worked it out with the venue and I got permission from the management and uh, worked with the security team to practice the, this, this moment that we were hoping to, to create that would maybe go viral. And uh, you know, he, he came in and he kind of like snuck up, snuck up behind the security team, uh, which had moved forward specifically to allow us to like create this moment. He came up on stage, he grabbed the guitar and then our guitar player started playing harmony with him. It was like super cool. But the video, uh, I've never been part of a viral moment, uh, but like watching it, you know, once it got posted, it was, it just like the numbers started flying and I think it landed on like 11 or 12 million views on TikTok. And then it had many, many, many more views on YouTube and Instagram and stuff. Um, but yeah, truly viral moment, incredible. The timing of it happened to be right after the Travis Scott tragedy. And so, so one of the top comments was like, basically like kind of like poking fun at the security team for letting this happen. Like, oh, here's the, oh, like the security dropped the ball on this one. And um, the owner who had not approved this video fired us. That was the last time we ever played there. And it was uh, it, ultimately a good thing. It was time. It was, it was time for a different chapter of our lives. 
But uh, yeah, like kind of like the greatest viral, you know, like like I was saying earlier, attention is the name of the game that I'm playing. And so we had made this like pretty uh, ballsy move to like create a moment that could get attention. We got a ton of attention and it ended up being on the surface level, the best and worst thing I ever did at the same time. And it taught me a lot about sensitivity to to other people's brands whenever I, you know, when I'm considering doing big attention things. And also ju just making sure that my communication is 110% uh, and not thinking, eh, I probably probably communicated this thoroughly enough to people. Since then, I've, I've always over communicated and made sure that everybody who's involved in some kind of like a marketing, I don't want to say stunt, but anyone who's involved in marketing understands what's happening uh, and is consented. I think that's a really powerful story to, to take something from. Having been on the other side of like the venue and the security in my previous life, mm. I can appreciate, you know, that's a challenging situation for, for everybody involved there. Yeah. So Jason, we've talked a lot about people, you know, how you interact with them, being in a band, being a solo artist, but thinking back to your days here on campus, and thank you again for being with us in person here in Atherton Hall, but are there any professors or friends that you want to give a shout out to from your days on campus? Yeah, um, so a former dean of uh, Shriers, Dean Christian Brady, he was here with the college for a long time. He, actually, you remind me a lot of him in, in the way that you're, you know, relating to and like getting like diving into the experience of talking to people about this college and also donna meyer who is in yes. the, in the office over here yeah donna Meyer. she she while i was in school here and then in the years following being in school she's always made me feel like uh schreier's wasn't just a school that i went to and then moved on from and forgot about she's always made me feel like uh you know a, a piece of schreier's appreciated me and still thinks you know things about and remembers remembers that i was part of it so her yeah, big shout out to Donna. Good choice, good choice. Uh, it is not four years, it is for life when you're a Shire Scholar. I like that. So as we're wrapping up our time, is there a final piece of advice that you want to leave for not only the scholars who are in the room with us, but for those listening on Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts <laughs> later on? Stay out of the steam vents. <laughs> I'm not going to tell a story. No, well, we won't, we won't get you in trouble <laughs> on that one. So if scholars want to reach out, connect with you, learn more, you know, pick your brain, or if they want to see you perform or listen to your music, what are the different ways that they can engage with you in a digital space? Yeah, uh, every social media platform uh, that anybody uses really, we're active on. And then uh, our music is available on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and anywhere anywhere that people typically listen to music, it's available. And you can find it under My Hero Zero or my original solo artist name, Jason O, or my new solo artist name, Jason Olsey, uh, O-L-C-E-S-E, Olcezi, if you're Italian. Um, and uh, and then very briefly, my, my solo pop artist name, J-O. It's J-A-O-H. I'm going to be retiring that artist project and absorbing it into the band as I move forward. So, yeah, <laughs> lots, of, lots of music all over the place. Awesome. And then hopefully day, someday we'll also see you physically in some record stores, maybe once that album's completed. Are there still record stores? Oh, yeah. I th there definitely are. I know there's some in Belfont oh, that you can awesome. check out. Yeah. I would love to do a record store signing. Awesome. Well, yeah. hopefully we can uh, get you tracked down to those folks over there. All right, count me in. All right. So last question, as is tradition here on Following the Gone, and uh, some of the scholars are giving me a look like this is the most ridiculous question, but here we go. If you were a flavor of Berkey Creamery ice cream, Jason, <laughs> which would you be? And as a scholar alum, most importantly, why would you be that flavor? Mm. Well, I'm a psychology major, and so... 
so I'm gonna like say part of part of my exploration into you know studying being a human is to try to understand our emotions and how you know I, I think being an artist I, I have a bit more of a roller coastery ride than I think that, you know other people have experienced uh, or expressed to me that is their experience of being a person so I'm gonna say not just because it's the best flavor or my favorite flavor, I'm gonna say bittersweet mint. Ooh, good choice. Yeah, because it's a little bitter and a little bit sweet. And that's that's me. That is that is good. Yeah. What do you mean that's a hot take? Oh, I'll fight them all. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Jason, Jason, and I will debate that one with them all day. <laughs> Thank you. It's the cha- It's the chips. It's the chips. And it's not just chips, those are like giant chunks of chocolate yeah, that's in what I'm saying. And also, be, you know, because it's my favorite flavor at this creamery, I've tried to have that bittersweet mint experience with all of the other, you know, mint chocolate chip, which is normally what it's called. And it just, this bittersweet hit, mint. This one hits different. It wrecks all the other bitter, you know, mint chocolate chip flavors. So like that's, I think, again, another reason why it's the best flavor is because like anybody can make a, a combo flavor that like hits like Ben and Jerry, but it, this is the best bittersweet mint out there. Amen to that. Case closed. What? Cone or bowl? Oh, cone, of course. Yeah, it's the crunch at the end. Yeah. I, I am a both person. Yeah, yeah, I go, I go bowl with the cone on top. Yes, that, mm-hmm. is, that is the way to do it. So that's <laughs> your final piece of advice here, how to approach getting your ice cream at the Bowl with the cone on top, yeah. Yep. <laughs> or even just skip the line and buy the half gallon, I think. Genius. Life hack. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, scholars who are here, scholars listening on your favorite podcast app, thank you so much for listening. Jason, I'll see. Thank you for being our first ever live in-person event guest here on Following the Gone. I laughed a lot. We heard some great music and some great stories and advice from your amazing career in the entertainment industry. Thank you for giving us a very good amount of your time today before uh, we're recording this on a Friday. So I believe you're probably heading off to Doggies later. Is that right? I'm going to go pick the band up right after this. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll let you get to that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you, scholars, for listening and learning with us today. We hope you will take something with you that will contribute to how you shape the world. This show proudly supports the Schreier Honors College Emergency Fund, benefiting scholars experiencing unexpected financial hardship. You can make a difference at raise.psu.edu forward slash Schreier. Please be sure to hit the relevant subscribe, like, or follow button on whichever platform you are engaging with us on today. You can follow the college on Instagram and LinkedIn to stay up to date on news, events, and deadlines. If you have questions about the show or are a Scholar alum who'd like to join us as a guest here on Following the Gone, please connect with me at scholaralumni at psu.edu. Until next time, please stay well, and we are 